Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human podcast listeners. Now, just as I said before, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we both write for a number... Well, I write for only one publication, and Ben, well, he writes for everybody. He's like a rogue with with nothing to lose. Uh, wow. You can find our content at autoguide.com, and uh, Ben, wherever you want to find his name, I'm sure he'll tell you very soon. Right, Ben? No, I'm just going to skip ahead of that like a rogue would do. Uh... <laughs> That's right. Uh, this week we have some pretty cool cars to talk to you about. Um, ben had way too much power at his fingertips, and he's going to tell you all about the Jeep Grand Cherokee SRT Trackhawk. Now, is it the SRT Trackhawk or is it just the Trackhawk? Because I see like different nomenclature no matter where I look. I, I, I just call it the Trackhawk, and, and I feel, I don't know, like I'm wrong, but I'm just going to go with that. And um, yeah, like like you were saying, it's it's got crazy power. It's got 707 horsepower. For those of you who aren't aware, for those of you who aren't FCA acolytes, the Trackhawk is the version of the Grand Cherokee that takes the Challenger's supercharged 6.2 liter V8 and stuffs it in a much smaller space. I know the reason it took a little while for us to get a Jeep version of this drivetrain was because they were trying to figure out how to get everything to fit under the hood and all the cooling to play nicely and all that fun stuff. But it's finally here and it has 707 horsepower and 645 pound-feet of torque. Um, I would call it just the Trackhawk. Jeep, Trackhawk. All right. Uh, I think that's the best way to call it. I think by now you know that a Trackhawk is a Grand Cherokee, is tuned by SRT, Um and I would just rather call it the Trackhawk, the other, you know what I mean? The other problem I have when talking about the Trackhawk is I always say Trailhawk because the Trailhawk... Oh, that's the worst. The Trailhawk came first, and there's so many hawks. And, like, how is it going to end? Will there be, like, a Blackhawk, a Redhawk, a Fauxhawk? Mm-hmm. I mean, when does it stop, Sammy? I think um, I think Fauxhawk would probably be the one that it stops at. All right. What about Sandhawk? That, that's just ridiculous. I mean, oh. Jeeps and Sand? Come on. The, no. I think it stops when we put our foots down, our, our feet down, our collective feet down. When, when we de- our, fo- our foots down. When we decide it stops, <laughs> we're the only ones who can make positive change in this world, Sammy. Be the change you want to see in Je- Jeep's naming structure. That's what my favorite best friend Michael Jackson always told me. Your favorite best friend. Wow. That really stinks. Sorry, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> you never told me to look in the mirror and make the change. That's true. I didn't. I just thought it was implicit. Uh <laughs> Anyway, so I had the Trackhawk, and I had the Trackhawk during a super wet and very cold week. And normally when you have an extremely powerful car, when it's just a few degrees above freezing, and every surface you're driving over is wet or covered in wet leaves that have fallen it's from... It's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a little intimidating, right? And um, uh, one thing that I've discovered about the Trackhawk is nothing about it is really intimidating from the driver's seat. I mean, the exhaust sounds crazy if you're standing anywhere near it (laughs) at any point. Uh, It's definitely the kind of vehicle where you have to put it in neutral and like idle into your parking spot at night behind your house or in your driveway so that you don't, um, I guess, alienate yourself from everyone within a four block radius. It is that loud. It is extreme. It is so loud that when you hammer it, you, you can't hear the supercharger whine in the vehicle. Uh, you can hear the oh, whine wow. at like part throttle, but if the if you're if you're really in it, the exhaust just totally drowns out every other mechanical noise. It's quite impressive. So that's actually a bit of a change from when I remember driving the what are these cars called? The Hellcats. 
Um, I remember when the first time I drove the Hellcat, the supercharger line was the first thing I noticed uh, from within the cabin. It's the well, I mean, in terms of noise. And if that's not the case anymore, I think that's pretty that's pretty interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, like uh, if you're just going around town, you'll hear it. But if you're if you're driving in anger, you're not going to hear anything except you know, the, the massively loud exhaust system. Uh, and you were driving in anger, weren't you? Not necessarily because, it, it, so <laughs> it, it, the, the, the Trackhawk weighs 5,300 pounds, right? 5,400 pounds, right around there. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's not super crazy heavy, but it's pretty heavy, which means you need a decent amount of room to stop. <laughs> and <laughs> this is the kind of vehicle it, it does 60 in around three and a half seconds. And the quarter oh mile God. is like 11 and a half, 11, six, I think. So it can get going in a small space really quickly, but it can't necessarily stop in that same amount of space. It's got good brakes. I was never worried. It's got, I think, six-piston Brembo's up front and four-piston in the rear. In fact, when you're looking at the Trackhawk, one of the only ways to tell it apart, if you're not a huge Jeep fan, is it has yellow brake calipers. And you can't get those on the SRT version, just the the regular – it's weird to say just regular SRT Jeep almost 500 horsepower anyway it has a different slightly different hood as well but you'll really notice the pedals other than that it's a it's a stealthy vehicle i mean it doesn't really stand out it looks good but it's not extroverted in in i think that's one of its strengths so yellow brake calipers is how i'm going to notice this car not the fact that it's the fastest jeep i've ever witnessed in my life well you'll notice it if you try to race it i mean you're not gonna win (laughs) it's just not gonna happen but the srt jeep was I don't know if it still is, but for a very long time it was the strongest selling member of the SRT lineup, and it makes a lot of sense because it's it's something mm. you can drive all year round ostensibly. It's a little harder to do that with a Hellcat in the snow. I mean, you can. It's not gonna. I mean, it won't be fun. <laughs> it's just a little too much power for a rear wheel drive platform in deep snow. But the Jeep, uh, the Jeep was like, yeah, you can you can do it. It's fine. Just put good tires on it. And when you when you bump that 500 horsepower Jeep up to 707 horsepower, I was really curious to see if it had the same kind of attitude because the last time I drove this was on a racetrack, <laughs> and the last time I drove it on a street was just in August, so it was very warm going to and from that racetrack on some two lane roads, and it felt fine there. We had a little bit of rain, but uh, summer rain is always different from you know cold winter rain and cold asphalt, right? Mm-hmm. You, I want. Yeah, I agree. All right, it is a little bit different. All right, thanks. I wanted to ask you about the the brake the brake colors again. Uh, are we still talking about the brake colors? Is it? A, are they like they're factory yellow? They're not like your. No, I paint. I, pa- I painted them. I took the wheels off and I spray painted them yellow just for the photos for the auto guide story. Here we go. And uh, it's a little, it's it's the extra effort I think that makes my work stand out from other people <laughs> who don't vandalize the press cards that are given to them. <laughs> are you? What I meant to say is, it's not like the the CTSV. Remember you told me the story about the CTSV um, was that it had these um, silver uh, brake calipers that went gold after you heated them up. Yeah, the track? yeah, yeah. No, this is so that was this is legit. That was like. 15 years ago and fortunately automotive paints have evolved in that time <laughs> so these are like a bright yellow they're not they're not like a gold yellow either it's it, it is definitely yellow like like a bumblebee kind of yellow um what was your experience um with other people did other people notice this car and the noises that it made did they want to race you on the track did they i mean on the on the streets did they give you thumbs up did anyone talk to you at like a, a gas station which i'm sure you had to visit um, 
like almost every other hour. Well, it gave me. I think I. I think I did 35 um, gallons per mile when I was driving this vehicle. So uh, it was insane. <laughs> In terms of how much fuel it uses at any given time, it's absolutely... Are you sure? There must be a hole in the gas tank. It's the kind of vehicle where you could take like a like a gallons per, per minute gauge and put it on the dash, and it would be by far your more, most active gauge. <laughs> like More so than the tachometer when you floor it. It's just, I think the official rating is 13 miles per gallon in the city, and that's optimistic. Like, this... This might be the first press vehicle I've driven with single-digit city fuel mileage. Uh, and it's, you know, part of that was it's wet. Part of that is you kind of want to stomp on it a lot. To, I think the first few weeks of ownership, you'll probably use more gas than the next two months just because of how much you're going to be wanting to hit that throttle and hear the exhaust and drive it at a crazy speed until you scare yourself to the point where you drive it a little more responsibly. But... Uh, I was impressed with how amazingly calm the vehicle can be, even in pouring rain on those nasty leaves that are everywhere. I, I was able to spin all four tires on it, which is some pretty impressive, I think, for a, a factory vehicle. But equally impressive was the way that it would quickly get itself under control. Like while the tires were spinning, it wasn't like it was fishtailing. It wasn't pulling me anywhere. Like I wasn't getting crazy torque steer. It would happen for a few seconds or a second and a half. And then the, the electronics that are controlling it would step in and figure out where to put the torque and keep me moving forward. And that's not easy to do. And it, it's it's also not easy to do when you have a drivetrain that's probably trying to grenade itself at all times because of wheel hop and spin. So this thing is built extremely, extremely tough. At least just from – I wasn't not the first person to drive this, right? And journalists don't have a great reputation in terms of taking care of vehicles. So the fact that this deep into its life as a press vehicle, it was still performing admirably in pretty terrible conditions was impressive to me. It, it gave me a lot more confidence in uh, just how year-round capable this vehicle probably is. That should bode well for it. And again, like you said, this uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee SRT, before it was one of the most popular SRTs, um, I was wondering, because I drove the, the Durango SRT a couple of months ago, and I found that to be a very interesting, fun-to-drive um, three-row crossover. And while it doesn't have 707 horsepower, it did have some really interesting um, all-wheel drive characteristics. If you change the drive modes the way the power is distributed to the front and rear axle would change. Um, I think like uh, sports and the majority of the the power to the rear wheels and then the track would bring it back up a little bit to the front wheels. Do you know if this is the case with the uh, the Trackhawk as well? It must be, right? I'm assuming it's the same. Uh, I didn't get into the details because uh, – so the reason I had it for this week was since I've already driven it on the track, I wanted to see what it was like in, in, in real life. Oh, and, a very well-rounded review. You want you want to have a very well-rounded take on the Jeep. Yeah, because Cherokee. nobody's going to be yeah. driving it on the racetrack. I I I'm going to make the controversial statement that you will never see this vehicle on a track. Drag strip, yeah, I think so, but not a racetrack. It's not fun to drive on a racetrack. It's very fast, but it, it's not engaging because it's so heavy and it's so high off the ground. It's it's an engineering accomplishment. Uh, I think it's great to tow your vehicle to the track with, and I think it's a great street vehicle and fun fun in a straight line, but I wouldn't choose it 
to to drive a, uh, on a race course, even though you can, uh, especially if you have an unlimited tire budget, because wow, I mean, it's I think they're two eighty five twenties. I'm not sure exactly, but okay. uh, it's definitely a, a lot of this is a big investment in tires if you're going to be abusing this thing. Uh, two eighty five. Okay, uh, I wanted to ask you two ninety five. About... Sorry, two ninety five oh, forty five. Wow. Yeah, I want to ask you about ride quality. It was it was indistinguishable from any other Grand Cherokee. Hey, that's actually a pretty that's a positive and a half. That's really good because I find uh, Grand Cherokees to be fairly comfortable riding vehicles. Sometimes a little anonymous too in the way that they drive. The Trackhawk, you're telling me it rides just as mainstream and and ho hum when you don't aren't in like a, a hardcore setting yeah totally it's you there's it, it really it, it's a dual personality vehicle <laughs> first of all the way you said yeah totally was so sarcastic <laughs> what no <laughs> i get i don't even know anymore when i'm being sarcastic yeah totally um no it's it's a very unusual vehicle in the sense that it seems super normal until you do anything with it that involves forward motion like you, you have okay. to reprogram your brain to be careful with the throttle because it is super fast and it's super fast all the time. It, it, uh, you don't have to put it in sport mode to be fast. Like I had it in auto mode almost the, I, I tried out sport mode. I tried out track mode on the street, but in, in auto mode, it's ridiculously quick. It's just always quick. And you, you have to, it's like, um, when you, when you, you're on a racetrack and you go from a slower car to a faster car and you, or you change tires or something, you get more grip. You have to reprogram all your braking zones. You have to reprogram, uh, how you enter a corner with the, with the track hawk, you kind of have to reprogram how you leave every intersection. Or if there's kids nearby, you have to be careful. You don't deafen them with the exhaust when you're pulling away. Like it's a, it's a different level of situational awareness that goes with driving such a fantastically well-endowed truck. And it's an absurd vehicle. I mean, let's, let's get down to the bottom of it. There's no need for this thing to exist. It's totally an it's totally a vehicle that's just we can do it so we did do it. It's like the thermonuclear option of SUVs and I'm glad it does exist because it's so crazy. But uh it's you know it's it's another level of of vehicle stewardship, I think. Um I I experienced this with the Mercedes AMG GLC 63 which is like a it, it doesn't have 700 horsepower. Yeah, tell tell me tell me how many tell me how many horsepower and our listeners how many horsepower this trifling AMG has. It I believe it has I think 500 um horsepower and it did 0 to 60 in in about 4 seconds uh less than 4 seconds I would say and it was silly fast as well so I wanted to say when I when I drove that it was like a cartoon it's something that you would not imagine you to to just enjoy because to me speed comes in a very tight package it's a small thing it's lightweight say it's, tight package um, again thank you Ben I will I will do that later um uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's this thing that is is agile and 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 sexy. It's not this big old thing with big tires and huge fender flares. Wait a minute. Wait, in what world are modern cars that are fast small, tight packages with agile handling? Aren't all modern cars that are fast about giant tires and huge mechanical grip? I meant like the the size of tires that um, that you see on an SUV, like these the way that these GLC and this Trackhawk have. I think they're wider, they're bigger, um, like rim size. Twenty inch wheels are are quite large, um, and it to me it was it was cartoonish. It was it was something that made me giggle because I didn't imagine something that big could move that fast. 
what brought it back down to earth though are the breaks. Those are that's an experience that really um, tra- changes it. It's not a, it's not a positive experience when you have to use so much heavy braking um, to take such a big car going that fast down to a normal speed. I mean, I mean, they work they work well in the track. It, they just, have to work. They honestly, they have to work well. You just have to. You have to be ready yeah. for it. You can't. You can't pretend it's like a miata it's not gonna it's not gonna work and and that's true mm-hmm. of the size of it too like you're you're bigger in the lane and all of that stuff it's 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 a truck it's just a truck that happens to have like a saturn 5 booster rocket instead of an engine and you have to keep that in mind at all times and i i'm happy for it i mean i i can't wait to see what's next i mean that was kind of the final frontier for the hellcat motor right like everyone mm-hmm. wanted it in the track hawk so no way i want you i want it in one more place before it takes where up. do you want it sammy the jeep the, the no sorry not the jeep what am i talking i'm so stupid the wrangler the, the ram i want it in a ram oh i guess you're... i want the srt 10 to come back well i mean that wouldn't or happen with called. the track if, if you use the hellcat motor it won't be the srt 10 i mean it should be something i mean yeah it can't be called the srt 10 but i want that back i want a street truck that is just Silly fast like this. No, that would Don't be awesome. I agree with you. Wicked? I think you're right. And I know that there were some kind of rumors or, or Easter eggs in some of Jeep's press materials when they revealed the 2019 um, Ram 1500. Um, the clock was all like curiously set to 707 o'clock. And uh, a lot of people noticed that and thought that that might be hinting at something. That would be amazing. And, I would love it. I mean, and and you know what I would love, Sammy? I would love it if it was a single cab short box truck. Ooh, that's yeah. what I want. I mean, with the SRT10, they made two versions. They made the single right. cab with the six-speed manual, and then they made the extended cab with the automatic. And I think the automatic was the only one with the tow rating. I, I'm sure you can tow with the single cab, but they just hadn't tested that configuration. I don't think they wanted to warranty it. Um, so make that truck happen, uh, SRT and FCA. We would love to talk about it. We would love an even more absurd Hellcat-oriented vehicle because uh, that would, you know, take some of the pressure off the Jeep, that's for sure. This, suddenly the Jeep is the responsible Hellcat truck and the, <laughs> and the Ram is the is the wild one in the family. The Ram, the Ram is the, the uh, Brett Michaels <laughs> of the Hellcat family all of a sudden. There are a lot of rumors about this about this ram. Where do you hear though. these rumors? Tell me where you hear your rumors. I, man, I got you. Got to keep your thing. You got your keep your fingers on the pulse of this whole beat. I'm all about the ram Hellcat. That's potentially. Is there coming. like an IRC channel that's just <laughs> yeah it's ram not Hellcat even rumors? IRC. Yeah, it's like a news. What is it called? Uh, yeah, I guess maybe IRC, but uh, that's where you'll find some information, maybe. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that was unnecessarily aggressive. Maybe if you learn how to use the internet then. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So they showed a concept. I believe it was called the 1500 Rebel TRX concept. And a lot of people have been have been saying that they've seen test mules with the Hellcat V8. And it might be coming in 2020. Or there might be two versions of the vehicle. A TRX with a 707 horsepower um, engine. And a TR, which would have a just 520 horsepower. Well, something, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned these two versions. Did you know that the Trackhawk is the first Hellcat-powered vehicle to not have two keys? Really? It only No, had, it, I didn't know that. It, it comes with two red keys instead of a black key and a red key. 
Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know I, what the logic is behind that, and I'm totally into it. But do you think because of the all-wheel drive system, it's wait, like I don't a know. Bit more you think safer? it's it, it civilizes know. it to the point where you don't need to worry about it? The thing I've always I've always that's always struck me about like the black key and the red key is people are like oh it's so you can give the valet the black key and I'm like it's 500 <laughs> horsepower. It's still right. no, it's not. It's not that much like cutting it like no, it, 500 horsepower is quite a lot. You can still do so much damage. So I I don't know. Um, the other question I want to know about the Trackhawk is, um, is it limited production? Not to my, not to my knowledge, no. I don't know if there's any limits on any of the Hellcat. I mean, there's theoretical limits of time and space, but I don't know. I I don't think they're, they're, they're numbered in terms of a limited series. I mean, so assuming that the, the SRT was so popular, the Trackhawk should be just as popular too. You would think so, but there's a huge price difference between them. Uh, oh, how? So, what? Well, so the the regular, sorry, the, the Trackhawk comes in at about 85,000 US. It's not an inexpensive vehicle. And I understand why. It's the Halo vehicle for Jeep in a sense. I mean, more. I guess the Wrangler is the real Halo vehicle. But uh, this is a special truck. And it's I don't have a problem with it being priced like a special truck. Um, what Sammy, do you think that's too much to pay for a vehicle like this one? No, I think that's actually too little. It's actually sorry that the net price is uh, the MSRP is eighty six thousand two hundred, and that is almost twenty thousand more than the SRT. I think that's too little. Really, you, you pay more. How much would you pay? Okay, we're auctioning off the track ox. Sammy, what do you bid? <clears throat> I mean, I think eighty grand is an, is a bargain. Do you know the do you know like the Cayenne Turbo does all of that at more than twice the price? Yeah, it is that fast at twice the price? And Over I, twice the price. It's, it's got to be. I, it's insane. And I'm going to be honest with you. I have driven a Cayenne Turbo on a racetrack too, and I can't think of anything it does better than the Trackhawk. In that okay, situation. my mistake. Sorry, the turbo is not twice the price, but it is over well over a hundred thousand dollars, closer to one thirty, I believe. So it's a fifty thousand dollar bonus. Yeah. yeah, I I don't think it's fifty thousand dollars more vehicle in a high performance situation. If you want to start talking about fit and finish, luxury mm-hmm. brand recognition, you got to decide how much of that's worth thirty grand or fifty grand more. Um, I mean, the Ram's not that bad. It's 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 decently refined. In my opinion, though, you mean the, the Jeep? Grand, the Jeep. I'm sorry, the Jeep Grand Cherokee. Oh gosh, FDA products all up in my head. I feel like you're the source of all these Ram rumors. Oh no, I can't even get them straight. <laughs> <laughs> um, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, the fit and finish of the uh, Grand Cherokee. In my opinion, the Grand Cherokee has finally reached a, a certain threshold of quality that I think brings it up to par with some luxury nameplates. Oh, I agree. Uh, I like. Like I agree. Acura and Lexus and and maybe even uh, I wouldn't say Infinity because Infinity really picked up their game recently, but I think maybe even some Mercedes and BMW 100%. models might be might be should be looking over their their shoulder as to what the Grand Cherokee can bring. Can I don't bring to the I don't table. think the interior of the Grand Cherokee is a step down from a comparable Mercedes SUV. I I think that they're there's like when you're at the high end of the Grand Cherokee lineup that there's a a conversation to be had in terms of fit and finish inside. Um, and I don't, you know, people who are buying that Cayenne Turbo, I don't know how many Cayenne Turbos or Turbo S's are actually sold. It's, it, there's a lot of lesser Cayennes, I think, that kind of fill out the, mm. fill out the, the balance sheet at the end of the year. And I don't think many Trackhawks will be sold, but I would be very curious to see the SRT versus Trackhawk split. I want to know how many customers the Trackhawk's going to pull out of SRTs. Um, let me take a look here. 
I got no, I got no information. No, there's, 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 we're not going to, that's the kind of thing you find out over lunch, like (laughs) in a casual setting that doesn't have a microphone involved. Uh, Now I hate, I hate doing this, but I, I have to say kudos to FCA for doing something that like is out there, is really wild and out there and different and, and, and yet livable and yet livable on a daily basis. mm -hmm. Assuming you don't mind owning a gas station. (laughs) They yeah, they seem to be able to – I don't know how they balance it, but they seem to be able to deliver enthusiast vehicles in a modern in – a, in a very modern age, in a modern way. The the Grand Cherokee Trackhawk is one of them. Sorry, I almost said Trailhawk like you you know I will. Yeah, it's just so um, easy to do. I do it all is the time. One, is one of them. The Jeep Wrangler is another one that – I don't know if it has a place in today's modern world, like a, a truck that's so uh, uncompromised in terms of its off-road capability, but it's still able to be offered and works on the road. Um, the other vehicles that they, they offer, the, the the Dodge Demon and Hellcats, are are equally wild and and uh, and and fun, right? Like it's just I can't imagine them being offered. I don't see. Who's uh, I, I don't see Toyota doing everything, anything like that ever. Like well, not just well, they one. Did, they had ever. the FG cru- They had the FJ Cruiser. So you have to give them credit for that. So that that was their Wrangler fighter. And then they discovered it was that a one that, generation product. Yeah, but they they discovered that there's really only market for one Wrangler, and it, it's already been that job has been filled. You know, like right. it, it's gonna be like if Ford comes out with this Bronco, that's gonna be an off road oriented vehicle, which I don't think it will be. But mm. if it is. I don't know how much they're going to be able to pull away from the Wrangler crowd. But I, I wanted to also mention, you you're talking about Jeep and, and FCA in general, just bringing out enthusiast vehicles. There's not a single other company on the market, period, other than uh, in North America, let's say, and okay. or in Japan, because the Europeans are doing it. I mean, yeah, they do, but they charge a lot for it. Yeah, man. you get the SVR Land Rovers, and then we, we have the Cayennes, like we were talking about, and there's the X5Ms. But Ford... Uh, Lincoln, Acura, Lexus, General Motors, they do not make a single high-performance SUV that is is comparable to either the SRT or the Trackhawk. Because the the Edge ST just came out, and it's still Mm -hmm. 335 horsepower. It's 150 horsepower less than the SRT, and half the horsepower, (laughs) less than half of the horsepower of the Trackhawk. So it's... I mean, FCA is really willing to push insult. the envelope. I think the the Edge ST to be called a performance vehicle is an insult when you've got the Grand the Grand Cherokee Trackhawk out there really doing it. You, you, know you what kind I mean? of you kind of have to think that the bar for entry <laughs> to be a high performance SUV has to be 400 horsepower. I mean, look, Ford ha- <laughs> Ford has that engine in the Raptor that is a yeah. legitimate high performance contender, and it's not in the Edge ST. So I, I understand that maybe Ford realizes they wouldn't sell many of these vehicles, but they did make a Fusion Sport that was really cool. And they didn't call it the Fusion ST. <laughs> they called it the Fusion yeah. Sport. And uh, I, this is essentially the same engine from the Fusion Sport in a crossover package. Um, I, I like this engine. I just don't see it as competitive with anything that FCA is doing. So they're kind of standing on their own in this area. I want to continue this conversation about performance vehicles, but on a smaller scale. I want to talk about something that has been gaining a lot of headlines recently, and I'm going to talk specifically about Hyundai. Hyundai's performance arm is finally in North America. This is the N 
brand. And um, a lot of people have driven this car. I've talked to a lot of my friends and colleagues who have driven it. And well, which car Veloster, is that? It's called the Veloster N. It's a high performance version of the Veloster, uh, I believe, based on the i30 in Europe. And this is like the legit, is like a real deal. This is Hyundai's first performance model, and it seems to be really kicking butt. Have I wanna, you heard I, the same thing? Well, I wanted to preface this conversation by saying that we had a listener uh, reach out to us last week, Austin uh, from mm. Ontario, who had a lot of questions about the N. He wanted to hear what we had to say about it. He's a, He's been interested in Hyundai performance for quite a while, and he noted that we had yet to talk about it on the show. I had the opportunity to drive it this month, and I was unable to make that date. So that's why we kind of haven't had it uh, in terms of first-person experience. But like Sammy said, a lot of our friends have driven it, and the, the, they're eager to tell us about it. So that's a good thing. Yeah, everyone's excited. I mean, everyone I know who spoke uh, that I've spoken to who's driven the Veloster N has had nothing but exciting, enthusiastic things to say about it. They're happy about it. They, and and what's interesting too is I've noticed a a real difference between um, attitudes when they're talking about comparing this car to something like the Civic Type R. Have you noticed that too, Sammy? Actually, I'm not sure I have. I need you to to, to further that explanation a little so bit. So what I've heard is – so uh, we've all driven the Type R, Sammy and I, and it's it's very, very fast, but it's also kind of curated. It's it's a computer-controlled experience in a lot of ways, and the, mm-hmm. the end doesn't come across that way. It's, uh, it's what, 250 horsepower, Sammy, and um, how many how many pound-feet of torque? I want 260. 260. Actually – there's a base model that has 250. Now this is going to get confusing because I know we have audience members in both the U in both US and Canada. So in the US, there's a base model that makes 250 horsepower, and there's a performance patch that that bumps it up to 275. In Canada, it's it comes standard with that performance package, so you okay. can only get it with a 275 horsepower. And and the reason they do that in Canada is because it allows them to charge more money because they're going to do less volume, so they need to have more profit per unit. So I understand why that happens. But, I guess so, but it's a decent price in Canada, thirty five thousand dollars in Canada. That's, that's and how much is it in the United good. States? Twenty eight thousand. Twenty eight thousand. So what's interesting is that's five thousand less than the Honda Civic Type R. Yeah. And it's almost the exact same price as a Golf GTI and a little bit cheaper or right around the same price as a WRX. So Hyundai has done their homework. They've pumped this thing into the right slot of the market. And you can also get Pirelli Trofeo R tires on it (laughs) from the factory. What? I mean, I'm someone who runs what could be considered non-street tires on the street on a regular basis. So I'm all about that, and I'm into it. Um, I don't really care about tire wear because tires are a consumable that I will go through like water. Um but uh, it's interesting to see whenever a factory does – I mean you expect it on like a Corvette or something, but for it to come out on – what was the – what are the tires that came with the Ford Focus RS? Uh, or even – you know, Sammy, the, the regular Veloster Turbo comes with Michelin uh, Pilot Sport 4. Yeah. yeah. So this is a huge step up. It, it's really <laughs> fascinating. Uh, and everything I hear about this car is great, that it, that it's fun, it has a great spirit, and that's honestly more what I care about as I get older and drive more cars, is <laughs> I, I want them to be interesting and engaging, I'm not so much about the numbers anymore. Do you ever feel that way, Sammy? I know you're 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 still in, in the middle of loving life and <laughs> not, not on your way out like I am, but... <laughs> Yeah, no, I hear you. I actually, I completely agree with you. And I know a lot of people when they when they buy a car, they look at the the brand, the name, what it looks like. I think in some ways, 
when I drive a car, how it makes me feel is the is the differentiating factor. I don't care what it's called. I don't care who makes it. If I have a good time driving it, that's what really matters. The Veloster N, what they've done is they've taken out all the junk that's become so um, commonplace in, in modern vehicles. There's no active safety features in this car. There's nothing like um, – I like how that's junk warning. to you. I mean <laughs> I, I, I – Who I cares about this. blind spots and adaptive cruise control? I appreciate those features in – uh, more mainstream models, okay? When it comes to to family vehicles and and to SUVs, and I appreciate those. But in a performance car, there's no there's no time and space or money for those kinds of features. Forget it all. Um, and they've also added a feature. It's this button. It's kind of like a BMW M button. You press this. Well, it's an N. You press this button, and that's when the car actually starts beginning to act like um, like a high performance vehicle. From what I understand. In the normal modes, it's it's pretty standard. It feels like a normal Veloster, which isn't a bad thing. But if you want to get the full experience, you're gonna to have to press this end button every single time you jump into the car. Okay, so it's it's kind of like the. But I have a question about the end button, Sammy. Um, yes. Does, does it, it only give you more than twenty <laughs> seconds of of fun, or is it yes. like really okay? So, so you're saying, I mean, the, what you're saying the, is Porsche could learn something from Hyundai. Yeah. That's that's the message I'm getting here. That's right, exactly. Um, okay. What is the other thing I wanted to add? Oh, it's it's manual only, man. That's another huge. That's how you know this thing is is really catering to enthusiasts. Yeah, and, and the same as uh, the Type R. Focus RS and the Type yeah. R. It is. I mean, the GTI is. You can still get it with a DSG, and there are some people who will defend DSG till the day they die. Uh, I don't mind it. But uh, I like seeing a three-pedal only car. It's it's a statement from Hyundai. It's 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 like they're saying, hey, we're playing in in a club where we're we're we don't need volume. We're okay <laughs> if this car finds its niche and stays with its niche because we're we're in that club now. We we can build these limited edition um, low volume cars and it doesn't hurt us financially. And, it, and that's that's as much of a statement as any kind of zero to sixty time that's associated with the Veloster. And I was going to add one more thing to to this vehicle. Um, it doesn't use any fancy braking technology. These are Kia Optima sourced brakes. Um, there's real working vents that keep the brakes cooled. Uh, and that's another way that they've managed to keep the the price down. And uh, it's it's also uses it has an electronically controlled limited slip differential up front. Oh yeah, it has a, a limited slip diff. This is a, a really important part of the package. It also has 19 inch wheels, Sammy. Are those too big for you? <laughs> I mean, that's I just not... <laughs> I just wanted to check. I don't want to. I don't want you to. No, I think that's a, a small, tight package. I think that's fine. <laughs> All right. Wow. Okay. Um, there gonna, was one more thing. Oh yes, we're talking that. about autom- we were talking about automatics and manuals. It's way better than uh, Subaru's automatic the CVT equipped WRX, right? Remember when when that was cool? Wow, you're so Wasn't. dismissive. I like the CVT on a turbo engine because it keeps it pegged in boost. But I guess but on that the WRX? doesn't. I guess that doesn't matter. I guess you're Sammy's not. decided that <laughs> that it's the worst thing ever. It was cool in the Juke too. It's the same deal. No, it wasn't cool. I preferred the manual Juke. You know that. Are we done? Okay, so like seriously, this is a car that seems like it has a really nice dual personality, which is getting harder and harder to find. Uh, just as we mentioned with the, I mean, at least harder to find with a reasonable price point, unlike that $80,000 Jeep Grand Cherokee. Yeah. This car has, it, it seems perfectly usable on the street. And then if you want to take it to the track, especially with Trofeo R tires um, and a performance package, it seems like it would be a pretty 
fun time out there as well. Um, the 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 event that had journalists test driving the car was did take place on the track. I'm drawing a blank on the, Thunder on the Hill. track. Oh, Thunderhill. And uh, my colleague uh, Sam McEachern at Autoguide.com had nothing but good things to say about this car. He said he would totally buy one if he could. Um, they're in very high demand. They're hard to find right now, and there's only going to be a few that come that hit the roads by the end of 2018. What do you think? Is this your, is this your up your alley? Yeah, I would love to drive it. I mean, I've always it, it's strange because. You know, when the Golf R came out and it was followed quickly by the, the Focus RS in Canada, or sorry, North America, um, I, I was into it, but I really have always been kind of a Focus ST kind of guy. I liked that package, that level of power, the front-wheel drive. I mean, I'm not a big front-wheel drive fan, yeah. but I, I, I like the reduced weight and the lack of complexity that comes with that type of hot hatch. Mm-hmm. So the, the Veloster N really appeals to me in that sense, and it's something I'm looking forward to driving. And I think when the original Velocicurbo came out, they thought it would be very much a Fiesta ST kind of um, competitor, and it really didn't deliver in terms of the driving dynamics. Whether that's just because of the the tire technology or something like that, it, I think it got closer as the Rally Edition came out, and then now this new version is very, very yeah. The new version is really good across the board, and they really done a good job. And I'm just it hoping... just seems like a tier above. And this. There's one thing I want to say, too, is is thank you, Hyundai, for building a, a vehicle that's not a crossover or an SUV and for believing that some people still want to drive hatchbacks. Some people like me who live in the city, I'm driving this week, I'm driving a an F-150 diesel and it's impossible to park. Like it is legit. I, I grew up driving F-150s in an urban environment. This one is so big. It is just it is a huge hassle. And it's at the point where I feel like I'm a prisoner in my house. Like I have a parking spot and I don't want to leave. I'm just like, no, nah, we'll camp out here for a while. But that's, that's, we'll talk about that next week in more detail. If I, if I manage to make it to the grocery store, I don't starve to death in that period of time. But Sam, then, that, speaking of crossovers, I think that yeah. there's, there's, we're going to, we're going to, you know, as much as we have been shamed for talking about them on the podcast, <laughs> That's kind yeah, of how I get we're... like death threats for all of the po- the crossover talk that we we do. Well, that in your and, facial hair. Yeah, I mean, I've been shaving. I mean, I've been keeping a nice line here. I don't know. This is a, it's an audio format. I don't know how they're looking at me. I don't know what you think sideburns are, Mister Burns. <laughs> but uh, so you you drove a trio of SUVs recently. You did a comparison, and we're gonna do a lightning round so that we we just get to the meat. Of the of the story, we're not gonna kind of dive in. We've done a lot of SUVs lately, so we don't want to get people too riled up. So, Sammy, name the three SUVs that you drove, and then we're gonna head to the lightning round. Okay, I've I, I've driven. I had. Oh goodness, I'm already stressed out about. Wow, the this round. is crazy. Have to call it a lightning this round. is like it's like we're on a Japanese game show now. I'm not asking you to reach into a box blindfolded and touch something you can't see. I'm just asking you to talk about vehicles you've driven. Okay, the new Honda CRV. We oh. also drove the um, Mazda CX-5. And the brand new Subaru Forester. Okay, lightning round one. Name yeah. one thing about each of these vehicles that stood out to you. CRV. Uh, extremely large and spacious. CX-5. Uh, fun to drive. Forester, don't say the robot that watches you. <laughs> Why can't I say the robot? Don't the say robot. the robot. Uh, well-rounded. The the Forester seems to combine the best elements of the CX-5 and the CRV into one into one vehicle. Okay, and now, lightning round two. Name mm-hmm. one thing that frustrated you about each of these vehicles. We'll start with CRV. 
The CRV, oh, it's a complete bore to drive. Even though it has the most power of uh, the, those three vehicles, um, it was a complete bore to drive. And it, it, it just found, it, I don't know, there's nothing, there's no joy when you're driving this vehicle. CX-5. Oh, where do I begin? Um, wow, that's that's ominous. Remember, lightning CX, round. While the CX-5 is fun to drive, it suffers in every other aspect of the vehicle. It is not spacious, it's not exactly the most comfortable, and it doesn't come with a lot of cool tech, save for a head-up display. Okay, and Forrester, don't talk about the robot. <laughs> why can't I talk about You know why. Actually, I will talk about the robot. <sighs> Although I didn't, although I didn't experience it, some of my colleagues mentioned because of the driver-facing camera in the system, um, it was very eager to to point them out when they're not looking uh, out the road. It was a little bit too eager at times, even when they're looking for a parking spot, that it would be like, keep your eyes on the road, stop looking uh, out the side windows. And wait, wait, wait a minute, let me get this straight. A mm-hmm. robot that watches you 24/7 while you're driving is a negative thing. It can be if you're not looking out the front window. Wow. And and at what point does it start making other judgments about your life? Like, at what point does it start reading your thoughts, Sammy, and then policing your thoughts? That's the next step. Well, I mean, this is dr- driver focus, and it comes after you get the eyesight package. I think when you get the thought focus, uh, Subaru thought focus, it, it'll only do it when you hit the thought button for for 20 seconds at a time it'll read your mind and it'll figure out what you want to do and uh i think it'll be a positive okay so lighting round final round third round i want you to name the strangest feature that each of these vehicles have starting with the crv the crv's weirdest feature is um let's see here while Sammy's trying to remember a vehicle he drove only yesterday, <laughs> I'm going to talk about uh, a CRV feature from the past that was pretty weird, and that was the oh. full-size shower that you could get no, with the vehicle. That's yes. not even the weir- no, the best feature, sorry, the weirdest feature was the table that it came with. How is a table not, how is a table weirder than a shower when we're talking about yeah, a car? Showers are useful. I could use a shower. Showers are, yes, they are useful, which is why they're in every home, but it's rare to find a shower in a car. Whereas you could get a table in a minivan. Uh, weirdest feature in the CRV is that it has a couple of weird drive modes. It has a D for drive. It has S for, uh, I guess, a sport mode. It has an L for a low range. And it has an econ button somewhere else on the dashboard. It's a button while the other things are on the gear stick. And I find that to be really frustrating. That's you not a more. weird feature. That is not even. Know. It just seems that's like... not even table weird. I mean, come on. <laughs> Additionally, there's a volume slider on the steering wheel, which you'll inadvertently press a bunch of times. All right, all right. So this has been a total fail. Let's move to CX-5 weirdest feature, and it better be weird, man. Okay, so one of the settings you can make for the CX-5's, I think, either blind spot or lane lane keeping system is instead of a beep, it can make this, like, bassy vibration noise. Yeah, that's the standard Mazda bass sound. We've talked about that a little while ago. It is absurd. It is totally absurd. Additionally, this car had a um, a, a camera um, that read signage, uh, like stop signs and um, speed limits. But it also, in the GPS, had like a red light camera, like uh, it knew about red light cameras. And I don't know what where the setting was for this, but it warned you through the speakers in a very low voice that, <laughs> that a red light camera was Like how loud was it like, hey, buddy. And, hey buddy, there's a red light. Hey, bu- sorry, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Was it like that? 
Yeah, yeah, it was really quiet, so it would dim whatever I was listening to and play this this thing that I couldn't quite hear. I didn't know it was happening. I couldn't anticipate it happening. Those and are the it best. Was... It's like it's like when you have Waze and the vo- the volume's too low, and you're listening to music, and then all of a sudden Waze comes on and is like, and then it goes away, and you're like, wait a minute, is there a, is there a speed trap coming up? And then it's too late. Exactly. That is exactly the situation I was having, and I, and I couldn't figure it out until later when I, like, finally like just tried to listen and it was like up ahead of a speed camera and you're like what i mean not speed, a red light camera i'm like i'm not gonna run that light anyways um all right and we're just gonna skip the forester because we already it's know the, the weirdest focus. it's the yeah. driver focused thing I, it's weird that you know what it's called like you had such you struggled with the crv but with the forester you're like oh yeah it's driver focused robot of course <laughs> why would it be anything else that i i am fully familiar with the ai branding involved in, in, in a subaru yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to bring out is like the the CX-5 is gorgeous inside and out. It's one of the prettiest cars on the market. And it seems like it's when you drive it, it seems like it's really built around the driver. It has a great, gorgeous head up display. It drives really well. It has great steering and throttle response. But everything else, everyone else in the car feels like an afterthought. In fact, in a family vehicle, I would imagine that things like, I don't know, USB ports are kind of useful for people in the back seat or the passenger seat. No, only the driver has access to the, 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 the USB ports, and there's only like one or two of them. While in the CRV and the Forester, there's like USB ports like literally everywhere, like just everywhere. And... Fascinating tales from the world of connectivity. Okay, on to the next thing we were going to talk about. Is that it? I think that's that the is it. This week. That Holy is it. Cow. We breeze through it. And next week, Sammy, what are we going to be talking about? I completely forgot. Uh, I think I've got, I'm going to actually to San Antonio to drive the new Mercedes-Benz GLE, which is another crossover, but a luxury one. And I've been seeing some really interesting um, footage of this car because it has a very high-tech all-wheel drive and suspension system. So I can't wait to test it out. And uh, I will be, we decided not to talk about the Volkswagen Beetle in uh, Dia de Muertos this week. We're going to talk about it next week, so we're going to have that. And I'm also going to be talking about the Ford F-150 that I mentioned earlier and what it's like to drive the diesel version of the truck, because this is the first time I have sampled that. And I was really curious to see how it held up against the Ram diesel, the Eco diesel, which was a very positive experience. So that's probably going to be my focus next week. And uh, Sammy, if people wanted to hear other podcasts in the past that we might have recorded where we made promises about what we were going to talk about and then didn't <laughs> didn't follow through on those promises, where could they do that? They could actually head straight to uh, our website, that's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, um, and you can see our list of all of our previous episodes. You can listen to them right there, or you can um, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast client, including... Did you call that a podcatcher the other day? I have called it a podcatcher. Wow. But yeah, right. you can use your you can fa- use your favorite podcast client like uh, Apple iTunes and Google Play Music and even Spotify, and you can listen to us there and subscribe as well. And if you want to get a hold of us on social media, you can do that at Facebook, Unnamed Automotive Podcast. If you wanted to get a hold of me on social media, I'm on Instagram. It's at Hunting Benjamin, and that's my preferred way of getting in touch because Twitter is a cesspool. If you want to, if you're really into Twitter and you want to hurl some insults at Sammy, you can do that at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing, or you can email me Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. And finally, Unnamed Automotive Podcast, Sammy, did you mention there's a contact page there? No, I didn't. You can absolutely click on our contact page and you can reach out to us that way as well. I think all right, that's so, all of our that's usual that's our 
That was an unusually smooth closure for the Yeah, for until the you mentioned it and totally, oh, like, de-smoothed it. It's just it. rare. It's just patting yourself on the back for speaking like a normal human being. I mean, <laughs> anyways, uh, until next week, uh, thank you for listening.